I, uh, I saw a, a set piece menu hero in portrait form this week. Um, there could be so many. I know. Did Chinch send you a an oil painting of himself? Uh, yet another one of Chinch's nude stencils. <laughs> absolutely awful. I wish Terri- he would stop doing that. Terrifying. Well, he has so many images of himself dotted around his house. You can surely he, sacrifice one or two. His house is kind of the opposite of my house. We don't have any pictures of us at yeah. all. He just has pictures of himself looking either murderous or slightly smouldering. My two favourite pictures of Chinch are the passport photo that he's had framed. That's, that's both murderous and <laughs> yes. smouldering. Enlarged and framed. It's not like in a tiny little passport. <laughs> frame the um the ones that have been uh, laser printed onto his pillows so he can sleep on his own face and and chinch is one of those strange people who who risks death by sleeping with his face on the pillow he sleeps face down face down is that right so obviously he could be closer to that picture of his pillow i have a question <laughs> you have a question how do you know that I don't, the only time that i've ever seen chinch sleep is um years and years ago we went out this is the, this is the days that he was partaking of alcohol mm. and probably one of the reasons why he isn't anymore uh, we went out for um, a meal at a local restaurant. Uh, the owner of that restaurant, or the manager of the restaurant, knew Chinch and his then wife. Um, and he came with a bottle of grappa mm. after the meal. And he said, you should try this. This is great. To which Chinch, in all his enthusiasm, went, sure. And proceeded then out of duty, um, but also gratitude, um, drink far too many shots of grappa. So the next morning, I he very kindly allowed me to stay in the spare room. The next morning, um, I wake up and he used to top and tail with because apparently his snoring was so bad that he topped and tail. I don't know what he does now because clearly that would have issues with the printed pillows that he has. Mm. Um, but he, he genuinely had his head by the foot end of the bed until about 2pm because he couldn't get up. Is that right? And so that was the only time I've seen And he him. was face down. Oh, we also went to New York together for a few days, but I never saw him sleep because I was always up at the crack of the dawn. Yeah, you're really annoying to go on holiday with. Really annoying. Hugh just, once he's awake, he's awake. Is that right? The lights go on. There is no light. He's in. moving around. And for any normal person who likes to gradually sort of... Ease themselves into the yeah, day. Yeah. Yes, like, I, I'm like married, you, like I'm you married or I, to one of those people. Like you or I would do, Rory, no chance. That's it. Once, once Hugh is awake, anybody within the same property that he is in is also awake. The funny thing is, you see, I used to be very much an easer, a day easer. But then... You Kate, had a small child. Well, no, no, no. It's, it predates Ed. It was, and it's been, it's been like made concrete by Hector. So now I, I normally bolt out of bed at like 7.13. Go, God, the dog needs walking. But because Kate used to get up to go into an office when we were in London, she'd always get up at like half six, quarters to seven, because she had to get ready and commute. And obviously being a feckless journalist I don't have to commute anywhere <laughs> so I'd be like well I'd get up at half, half eight it is nine. comfortably the best thing about our oh, jobs yeah, yeah. by the way and rush hour no thanks the, um, that's a really offensive thing to say on a podcast <laughs> that will be being listened to by lots of people commuting during rush hour yeah I, you, we, you have our sympathy but the fact that we don't have to do that ourselves gives us the opportunity to record a podcast that's that can true. entertain people whilst they are we do only in the rush hour circle of life we do only ever record this podcast at rush hour that's the irony <laughs> yeah. the, um, no but Kate used to get up and she's not She's a, a wonderful woman, my wife, but she's not necessarily given to kind of being really quiet and sort of treading around, tippy-toeing around, just being really careful not to wake me up. There was all, there'd always be like a, a question at about 7 a.m. every morning. And I'd be like, well, I'm asleep. Leave me alone. It's the I'm, question, are you awake? Yeah, it, often it is, are you awake? Or have you are seen Are you planning this? on making breakfast? Yeah, have you seen... Normally it'd just be like, Can have I you have seen this? Coffee? Do you know where my shoes are? And I'd be like, well, no, of course I don't know where your shoes are. I keep track of your own shoes. <laughs> And from from then on, really, I, I wake up at seven o'clock on the dot. So I was away last week 
for the first, second time since Ed was born with the blissful possibility of a, of a full night's sleep. In fact, not even every... One morning I woke up at five so I had to get a flight and the two that I could have a bit of a lie and I woke up at seven on the dot and I blame Kate entirely. Yeah, thanks, Kate. You've broken Rory. <laughs> well Re- done. Broken isn't the right word. Reprogrammed <laughs> is the correct word. Rejuvenated. No. There, there, was, uh, there was one time that, um, that, that I was staying in the same room as Chinch and I woke up after him and he was doing that thing that I'm sure was real and I don't doubt it for even a second where he was doing crunches down the other side of the bed so I couldn't see him. I could just hear 298. 299. <laughs> it's like, how did you know that I was waking up just at the moment yeah. that you would get to 300? Anyway, you said that you, you met one of, you no, saw you saw one of the great um, heroes of the Set Piece Many I did. Podcast. So I was at the game between Here and Vane and Sparta Rotterdam. Uh, two great sides, Sparta Rotterdam, where 1 to 11 do not have squad numbers. My favourite Dutch team. Uh, and in the press room of Here and Vane, lovely little stadium, nice little town, uh, there are pictures of some of Here and Vane's famous, most famous sons. Uh, and there was Rudan Nisselroy, obviously, Klaas Jan Huntelaar, uh, Baz Dost. He uh, sounds like a Star Wars character. So goal scorers. All, they were all strikers. Yeah. They were all strikers. I presume they've had some decent midfielders and defenders, but they seem to have forgotten them. Uh, Mar- <laughs> they don't celebrate them, put it that way. No, absolutely. They certainly don't stencil them. Marcus Allback was there. Uh, Philip Juricic, I think, was. Uh, Afonso Alves. Who should forget Afonso Alves? But the, Middlesbrough could. The, the first thing I saw when I walked into the press room, there was a really friendly lady who showed me around and stuff was a, a drawing of Andy Hinchliffe's former teammate, Gerald Seabon. Oh, who has been mentioned more times than is probably necessary on this uh, here podcast. We are probably the podcast that talks most about Gerald Seabon. And that is a badge of honour. Unless it's a Heronveen Legends podcast that we get to come across. <laughs> Even then, though, I think, I think we compete, to be honest. So there's a, there is, in Heronveen, there is a, a stencil drawing of Gerald Seabon that is on the wall every time anyone does a press conference at Heronveen. All the great managers in Holland. I saw Dick Advocat, in fact. He was still going strong at 70. He did his press conference not far from a picture of Gerald Seabon, former teammate of Andy Hinchliffe. There you go. That's the inspiration, isn't it? For your utterances to the press, Gerald Seabon is staring down upon you. Can you imagine anywhere, like, say, for example, Hillsborough, uh, a, a stenciled drawing of Andy Hinchliffe anywhere? Not one of his nudes. You know, beautifully created in stencils because they respect and value his contribution. Uh, to the game of association football uh, I so don't much. think that's ever going to happen, judging by the experience that Chinch has had within the last few days. He's obviously not here to tell the tale himself, but apparently Chinch was accosted in transit on his way, I assume on his way to Portugal, which is why he's not here, by a Sheffield Wednesday fan who got talking to Chinch and wanted to know whether Sheffield Wednesday could have their money back. £3 million with inflation would be quite a lot of money to Sheffield Wednesday I'll tell you what it would be a lot of plates of Kit Kats which was essentially the transaction that took place yeah what sort of quality of left back could they get with the Andy Hinchcliffe money plus inflation not a very good left back anymore (laughs) this is set piece menu welcome to the podcast where four friends usually today three friends talk football over food the food has been provided by uh, Stephen Wyeth and I have to say it is one of the more healthy Mm. uh, lunches that we have ever uh, had in set piece menu history which is now 61 episodes episodes old. We didn't have any mini bites at all, did we? No mini no. bites at all, although he's kind of ruined it because we've got some cookies, which I think, have we finished the whole bunch? No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We've got some cookies They're as well. fruit cookies. They are fruit flat cookies, even biscuits. so they are oats. So what, what did uh, you create for us on this, uh, this wonderful day? We had uh, poached haddock with a poached egg, asparagus, tender stem broccoli, and boiled potatoes. And joined for all of it by, uh, by Steve's youngest progeny, 
George, who we have learnt likes broccoli, but is not so keen on asparagus. So he's a bit like his godfather, Mr. Ferris, who also apparently doesn't like does asparagus. not like asparagus. Not a big fan of asparagus. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty partial to most things, but asparagus, that's just on the wrong side of my limits. I love asparagus. I was hoping, I thought if I buried it under his fish fingers, it might get eaten, but... He's talking about his son now, not... not oh, no, no. <laughs> not about me. You, you didn't have fish fingers. I didn't fingers. get fish fingers, although, frankly, I would have lapped them up if they, had available, if they were available. Uh, with me, Hugh Ferris, on set piece menu. Ah, Rory Smith, off of the newspapers, who spent much of last week in three different countries. And Steve Wyeth, off of the telly, who spent much of last week commentating on three different matches. And also, fending off all manner of social media abuse pertaining to what will forever be known as Sissoko Gate. So, our Don't You Forget About Me team from last week, where we were trying to cobble together a team of 11 players. Those 11 players were forgotten, were marginalised, were out on loan at any of the top six clubs. And I think our process was fairly thorough, although um, it was undermined by a lot of people who have a lot more intelligence than us. Or a lot more time than we do. A lot more time, Um, a lot better prepared. I would like to stress, first and foremost, that A, this was Rory Smith's idea. It was. And B, Hugh Ferris did a majority of the research into which players we considered would be eligible. So he's absol- are you absolving yourself? Yeah, really I'm is, the yeah. one who has had to deal with the abuse <laughs> on social media. Apparently, and quite fairly, we should not have even considered Musa Sissoko, who made it into our Don't You Forget About Me 11, on the basis that no player has made more appearances this season so far for Tottenham than Musa Sissoko. Is that right? That is correct. That's and I astonishing. Thought, I thought I was well prepared, but I didn't, I didn't look that far. In Hugh's defence, because this is Hugh's fault, a large number of those appearances have been from the bench, around about half, in fact. And to be honest, if Musa Sissoko does not want to be part of what is, quite frankly, our terrible football team, then he should have made more of an impact when he came on for the final 20 minutes of games. If, if he's made... I've missed all of this as I've been away, so I've not really been paying attention to anything, but... If, he, if he's made half of his appearances as a sub, I think that's pushing it a bit to say that that's quite a good example of where statistics aren't really necessarily reflective of the truth. So if you're saying that we can't have him in, maybe we shouldn't have had him in. And also, I don't think the, the whole experiment worked at all anyway. But the, <laughs> We'll come to that in a moment. The, the, um, you can't be like... like is that, so a Spurs fan saying that Sissoko's been their most impactful player this season well, to no, make the most appearance. I, I think he just... Yeah, like we were saying, he, he, he fell outside of the parameters that we right, ended okay. up setting. Fine. There, there are players who have made fewer Premier League starts this season than he has, who we discounted on that basis. So okay. we should not have included Sissoko. Although it has to be said, one or two of the Tottenham fans who called us out on this were also more than willing to release him from his contractual <laughs> obligations to Tottenham and let us have him so you know it swings around Good, yeah, fine. although I would like to say at this point uh, solutions not problems please everybody yeah, so yeah. no Sissoko fine but who in his place well you say the experiment didn't work but generally people seem to have agreed with the players we came up with mm-hmm. seven of the 11 players we selected were also overwhelmingly included by those who submitted their suggestions so let's, uh, let's remind everybody of the team that we eventually arrived upon and it was a team that we were not universally happy with let's be no. honest uh, to put the 
excuse before the revelation. Sergio Romero in goal, four across the back from left to right. Kennedy, Marcos Rojo, David Luiz, Mateo Damian, two holding in midfield, Mohamed Elneny and Yaya Torre with Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, ahead of them in a number 10 position. Daniel Sturridge was forced to play out on the left-hand side. Musa Sissoko uh, on the right and Fernando Llorente was the striker. Generally, people were pretty close to that in terms of their suggestions. Sergio Romero, overwhelmingly more than half those who submitted their teams had him playing in goal. There were one or two other suggestions, but it appears we've got the goalkeeper right. Uh, David Luiz was the most selected player, uh, along with Matteo Darmian. So two of out, of our, out of our back four people agreed with. The one defender that we perhaps overlooked for inclusion that many felt should have been in, Matteo Debushi. So we're going to put him in at right back, move Darmian to left back, David Luiz in the middle, and it's a split really between Deli Blint or Kurt Zuma wow. to play the other centre-half role. And this is where we bring in Rory, because Rory on Twitter, quite inaccurately, told the world that we determined that Daly Blint wasn't eligible. That was not true. We determined that he was available, but we said he wasn't good enough to get in. So withdraw. Withdraw that comment right now. In my defence... <laughs> I wasn't I paying any attention. When I made that comment, I may have been eating a very large bacon and maple syrup pancake in Amsterdam. And therefore was, was thinking much more about... There was no... You both know me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sort of... What's the body's a temple? I'm very much a straight-edged kind of man, uh, but I wasn't really paying attention to anything. I think I was just focusing purely on my pancake. So I may have forgotten that we decided that Daily Blint was eligible, but rubbish. Although I still think, to be honest, I do I do worry that this experiment didn't really work. I think we we, we maybe needed to to sort of crystallise our thoughts a bit more beforehand. We can all learn from these things, Steve, particularly you. And <laughs> <laughs> none of us are perfect, least of all me. The um. But Daily Blint's quite a good example, and I think there's the, the other players that we missed out that are even better examples, of like top-class players. Daily Blint is a really good footballer. He's really good at football. Who's, he's just kind of overlooked completely because he's at Manchester United. If he was at any team outside the top six, he would start every week. I'll tell you what then. <clears throat> Quickly, let's have a vote around the table. Do we go with Blint or Zuma to play alongside David Luiz? I think in, alongside, to, ch- to channel my inner chinch, you'd have to say Zuma because you can't have Blint and Luiz, can you? Fair enough. I think that's um, that has been decided. That was the casting vote. Spine of the team in terms of midfield, everybody agreed with this. Yaya Torre and Mohamed Elneny as the holding midfielders. Success. But you see, I'd say that Elneny, in my mind, and I realise this, I don't have the stats to back this up, but Elneny, Elneny feels like he's more involved at Arsenal than Sissoko is at Spurs, don't you think? No, well, I think when I looked, he had played only five or six Premier League matches. No, I'm not saying that I'm... I'm not saying that anyone's wrong. I'm just saying that the, the, pers- in terms the perspective of the, 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 you've got the perspective right? you have is that El Nenny is part of the first team regularly, whereas Sissoko really isn't. So it just shows it just shows that you know we are all idiots. Ahead of those two, Ruben Loftus Cheek, who right. was in our eleven and overwhelmingly was uh, in the eleven players that a majority of our listeners selected. It's further forward where the complications start to arise. Daniel Sturridge, more than half uh, selected him, so he retains his place, but he's going to have to play up top on his own a player that I think you wanted included Rory but Chinch was absolutely adamant should be nowhere near the team Mishi Batshuayi 78% of people wanted Batshuayi in their team in, in a week he scored three goals so I think I think that may well happen. well yeah but as in, in this case I think mob rule is proved to be quite correct <laughs> Chinch's view and I'm, I'm, I'm only saying this because he's not here but Chinch's view on Batshuayi is really weird it's a genuinely weird thing to think I don't think, well, I don't think we'll ever 
will ever convince him otherwise. But, he, but he's like, not here, so Batshuayi gets in. But he like Chinch genuinely thinks, and we say this with with enormous love for Chinch. But Chinch genuinely thinks Batshuayi is <laughs> terrible, and he's re- he's not. Like he's a. But then again, he he might have watched the two FA Cup games that he scored three goals in, and he might have thought very differently. Uh, he has no right to reply at we this know, moment. So we know we, we know he didn't watch one of them because I texted him when. When Batchwine started against Norwich with the word goal, <laughs> and Chinch just texted about saying I assume, something along the lines of saying I assume Batchwine scored. I bet it was a deflection. <laughs> That's the thing about Chinch in the FA Cup, but he won it, and he's very, very, very fond of the competition. But because Sky don't have the FA Cup, it means a he's off to Portugal, <laughs> yeah. and b he doesn't watch anything. <laughs> and there's no way the phrase "I'm sorry." Rory, I was wrong and you yeah. were right is yeah. going to pass Chinch's lips. No. So let's this just, man has never apologised. Let's just say he's been, he's been outvoted. Final player up for selection. Another player that Rory mentioned uh, last week but didn't quite make it in but a majority of people felt deserved a place and I'm inclined to agree with them. Lazar Markovic. I think Markovic had Markovic is actually the, the player who kind of made me come up with this it deeply flawed the issue, concept. Yes. Because Markovic was a £25 million winner at Benfica. Lots of teams in Europe wanted him. He's been at Liverpool for about 10 years and they genuinely seem to have forgotten that he's there. His situation is kind of the, the, the perfect encapsulation of, of this whole tendency where the big six teams sign players that they don't need and then forget about them. Well, the point was meant to be of the whole episode, whether it worked or not, that the top six have way too many players who aren't getting much of a look in. The point was not meant to be that we are wildly inconsistent with our selection criteria and badly prepared when it comes to how much a certain player is played, which is actually more forcefully made than the first point that we set out to make. Look, I don't think this team is necessarily any better than the one we selected, but that's democracy for you. I will post the finalised team on Twitter and then let's speak no more of it, shall we? <laughs> and it looks like, you know, a lot of the percentages are like 50, 53, 54, which we've learned from democracy in recent years is an, is an overwhelming, <laughs> emphatic mandate. Um, and shape, shaping the conversation for 20 years to come. Uh, as well as all the interaction regarding Sasuka, Sissoko not being involved, a couple of other things must just mention uh, from Andy Hellier on Twitter. He said that last week's episode was like listening to the deleted scenes from the best of compilation of Set Piece Menu, which is basically just us arguing at uh, this damning damning assessment from Mitchell Willis on Twitter who said that our team reads like a Garth Crooks team of the week <laughs> which was a pretty decent burn until he then suggested alternative players who do not play for top six clubs like Kalecci Iannaccio and Leonardo Ojoa well Andy Hellier also got in touch via setpiecemenu at gmail.com with his team so he was one of those people who did uh, problems uh, and solutions and he mentioned Patrick Roberts uh, which is a, a good a good mm. idea from that uh, that right hand side because he, Sissoko was at the right hand of a, of a three behind the striker yeah. so that was um, well done to those of you who didn't just complain and actually offered an alternative and Patrick Roberts again is a player that City have signed despite for 11 million pounds having no need for it at the time they don't appear to have a massively clear plan for him and he's now just permanently on loan at Celtic so he kind of encapsulates the problem as well. Where he didn't need to sign for Manchester City. He would have been better off maybe not staying at Fulham necessarily, but going to a Leicester or a Southampton, one of those clubs, because this hoarding of players is not good for the players, which was the point we were driving at. And I think probably round, round, round the houses we've maybe eventually made. 
So in, in the end, we win. <laughs> I think, uh, well, with 52% of the popular vote, exactly. we win. Today's discussion um, is different, you'll be pleased to know. It's brought to you in the same spirit as our episode in November about joy, which you can check out with all other uh, of the 60 episodes that we've had on Set Piece Menu uh, via your u- usual podcast provider. You'll have read all sorts of features over the years about players that are unsung heroes at your club, consistent performers, unglamorous positions perhaps, but we wanted to suggest those unsung heroes who may well be even more discounted in those kind of conversations, perhaps those from behind the scenes too at a football club or maybe even in the media. But uh, it's rather uh, fitting that Andy isn't here as he was literally unsung. Nobody bothered to ever create a Hinchcliffe chant during his massively successful and high profile playing career. And he was definitely never heroic. (laughs) That's true. No. It reminds me... uh, if anybody would like to add to some of the suggestions we've had about a, a Hinchcliffe chant, if you can imagine how it might be uttered from the terraces in the mid-90s. We, we did get a few um, when we They were very Christmassy themed there, there was They were Christmassy themed and also most of them were not broadcastable. So if you could uh, think to do it without any references to some of his uh, former teammates and their sexual prowess or indeed um, any swear words, uh, we'll be very grateful at Set Piece Menu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com as ever. Do get in touch. Do you think? Did, did he never have an oh Andy 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 Hinch to lift? He must have had some. I think you failed. Thing, but some you point. need a Hincher cliff. You, you've got three syllables at the you end. You could make it work. You could make it work. It's, I mean, I'm not being funny, but like, it's not like all football chants stand really well. Hinch cliff. Hinch cliff. It just sounds, it sounds. How many fullbacks have ever had a chant? That's in true. Their honor, though, but also, the, the other thing with with chants that's really important is that your name has to fit. If you don't have a name that works, you won't get a chance. So even if you're a really good player, often. In fact, Daniel Sturridge might be one of these that falls into that. Sturridge is a really hard name to fit into a chant. So you don't often hear chants with Sturridge in, whereas other names of lesser players stand more nicely or rhyme with stuff, so they get included. I don't think Jurgen Klopp would agree with you that he's a really good player. And let's not start this again. <laughs> that, that was very much last week's uh, theme. Uh, in absentia, Andy did have a suggestion for the unsung hero he'd like to um, uh, bring to our debate. He said, Ian Dowie. I don't think he was being serious. I think he was being mightily facetious. Um, but he shouldn't have been, because Ian Dowie, uh, if he is unsung, I'd like to sing about him. Lovely guy. He's a nice man. There's, also, there's, a, there's a cast of pundits as well, that, the, the jobbing pundits, that I think you kind of have to respect at least their, their stickability, like the fact they just keep, keep the on growing. Not the bounce back ability, which Not the of bounce back ability, but the fact coined by Ian Dowie. They just keep on growing. Like they are, they're there, they're commentating on lead one football, you know, that, I think that's... You've got to admire that to an extent. We're watching them watching terrible football, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got a day job now, so he just does that on the weekends. What's his day job? He is a... Or at least I think he still is a, um, a sales manager for a surveying company. Is that right? Yes. And his wife is uh, a wonderful woman who has a charity for breast cancer, and she raises hundreds of thousands of pounds, and he contributes pretty much each time by doing something disreputable and stupid. Um, and so for that, we must applaud him. I think what we... We, we, we should be trying to... It's actually kind of inspired by John Nicholson's Football 365 love letters to various pundits. Yes. That, that we, we should be positive about football every so often. So I think it's important to, to highlight people either behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, <laughs> around the game, who are, who are doing 
good stuff and maybe don't get any credit for it. I think that is that is nice. So that, fine, let's put Ian Dowie in. Let's it's, put, nice, it's nice to be nice. Well, it is nice to be nice. And, and hurrah for that, say all of us. Um, but in Chinch's absence, and thankfully in the absence of his disrupted childishness, uh, we'll press on then with a couple of suggestions, maybe each, uh, to which we'd love you to add if an unsung hero springs to mind for you at Setpiece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. So who wants to begin? You know, you're supposed to like lock eye contact with me when I look. Nobody's looking. Okay, yeah, fine. Is, I'll is do it. Isn't it about time that, that Hugh set the tempo? Yeah, I'll it do it. Absolutely is. I'll do it. Okay. I want to start with the people who are entitled, and it's a bit of a drab title for, for somebody who does this thing, the player liaison officer at a club. What is a player liaison officer? The player liaison officer is the guy or girl who has to spend most of their time sorting out idiot footballers and their ridiculous either antics or requests. A player liaison officer will take you house hunting. They will get you a flat in the meantime or an apartment or a house rented. They will do everything. They will sort out your your rental payments. They will sort out all your bank accounts, uh, all those kind of things when you join. And thereafter, you are the first port of call. Um, Now, all what I've suggested already is incredibly sensible and a little bit crutchy, if you like, mm. that players are relying on other people to do this, but sometimes they're 20 years old and they've come from Brazil or something. So, you know, it's really good to have that, that base and somebody to help you out. Where it gets a little bit more trying for the player liaison officer is when they start to use that crutch at times, which is perhaps not necessarily suitable. So I'll give you two examples. Um, the player liaison officer, when we were covering Manchester United, was a, a lovely guy called Barry Morehouse. Yes. And Barry, Barry yeah. had the patience of a saint. Barry would get requests like this from, and I can't remember the player, but I'm just going to guess at it. I, th- I think it was Wes Brown, but it might not have been. So Wes, if you're listening, I apologise, but you'll, you may remember the story and so he probably won't care. He's not listening. He's not listening. He might be listening. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Wes Brown and Ian Dowie. Let's put Wes Brown and Ian Dowie on our list. Um, this player went to Barry Morehouse with a page ripped out of a magazine of an incredibly expensive and lovely looking car. And he said to Barry, Barry, get me this car. Barry then did some research on this car to find out that it was essentially a prototype that didn't exist. And if it did exist, there were about two of them in the world. And there was no way that any human, however rich they may well be, was going to get his hands on that car. And he had to explain this to a player who clearly just wanted the car. Um, The other one was the one at Manchester City. I'm not going to mention his name because he doesn't work there anymore. Um... But there was a guy who was the first phone call that Mario Balotelli made after he set fire to his bathroom uh, with the fireworks. Now, what I know from this incident is that because of the guy who was there firsthand and was basically called whatever night it was, he was called over to Mario Balotelli's house in the posh part of Cheshire. What he discovered was is that Mario didn't actually do it. He was downstairs and his friend had set off the fireworks in his bath and it had set fire to the to, to whatever drapes or or blind there was in the, in the bathroom and so mario balotelli got on the phone and he said listen uh, this has happened help me and just two two little points of what must be a daily grind for somebody like that who not only has to deal with the ridiculous expectations of a modern footballer but also genuinely fix the problem so to them i say you are an unsung hero and uh, let's sing about you for just a little while. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I know two or three player liaison officers at various clubs, and they are they, they are very patient people. It's not that there's worse jobs in the world than being a player liaison officer, but it, it it's twenty four seven, 
and it's often for stuff. I think the thing that, the, that I'd find impossible in that is that there's stuff. If someone, someone was available to me, and I set fire to my house accidentally. I'd be quite appreciative of that. But it's when they get the phone call saying my washing machine's broken, or I, not even broken, just I don't know how to make it do, you know, a spin cycle or whatever. I mean, I, they won't know what a spin cycle is, but the, you know, it's <laughs> it's the, the incredibly simple stuff, and to have the ability. It's one of those, those underrated skills, to have the ability to speak to an adult who is behaving like a child without talking to them like a child takes incredible patience, I think. So, yeah, they, they are... They're, they're, um, clubs, I think, increasingly... The positions only existed for, like, 15, 20 years. It didn't, the first wave of foreigners who came over to England, did, they, they weren't these people in these positions, and that's why a lot of them didn't settle. But clubs increasingly, I think, recognise how important they are. City now have a team of about 10 of them who are on call... 24 hours a day. And, and a lot of them are um, Spanish, yeah. Portuguese speaking. Um, yeah. And so, yes, they, they cater, obviously, for all those um, guys who have come in and to a completely foreign land. And unlike the, the, my favourite Manchester City character, the, the one character who dominates my thoughts of the entire Man City revolution, which is Jose, who was... Have we talked about Jose before? No, we haven't talked about Jose before. He was, he was Roberto Mancini's player liaison man. He was. The best thing about Jose, and I, I like Man City, and I'll get in trouble for saying this, but the best thing about Jose was that Jose was, I believe, Portuguese or yes. Brazilian. He was definitely he was Portuguese, Portuguese speaking, but... Uh, but he had somehow convinced the people at Manchester City, I believe under Gary Cook's tenure, that all Mediterranean languages were the same. And therefore, he acted as Roberto Mancini's translator, despite not speaking Italian. And, and despite the fact that they actually had a translator, who was a guy called Christian, Christian who was yeah, yeah. Um, Fabio Capello's translator yeah. when he was the England manager. So they genuinely had a translator, but Jose still managed to get the job. And essentially, he was the guy who did everything yeah. for Roberto Mancini. Yeah, that's not an easy job. So with the exception of Jose, these guys and gals sound pretty impressive and are fully deserving of unsung hero status. They, they must have this ability to be able to sort of like almost transcend reality whilst they deal with problems and then having to step back into the real world to come up with the solution. So to sympathise with these players who don't know which side of the bread you butter after you've toasted it or whatever, and then immediately sort of re-immerse themselves in, in the way that they have to live their lives. That's a, that's a pretty decent skill, isn't it? And yeah. also to have the relationship with a multi-millionaire, incredible superstar that makes you feel like you're friends because you're the first port of con- point of contact, but you never are and never will be. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine... I can't imagine any circumstances in which your phone rings and it's Mario Balotelli and that's going to be good news any no, time of day or no. night. He's not, he's not just catching yeah. up, is he? Mario's not seeing what I want for Christmas or checking, you know, how the kids are, is he? Mario's not bored with nothing to do <laughs> and fancy to chat. So player liaison officers, uh, you are number one on the unsung hero chart. Who else do we have? I think we should give a mention to... Those hardy souls. And I'm just going to discount supporters of the top six for the time being. Because they're too busy trying to figure out a don't you forget about me 11. Exactly. So they're busy. Busy. Fans who follow their team away from home. Is there a more thankless task in football than traipsing up and down the motorways or paying extortionate fees to use trains at the weekends when the service has been massively reduced to go and watch your team in a far-flung corner of the country where they will let's be honest almost certainly lose because as we've previously discussed in this podcast home advantage in football is one of the greatest advantages that you can have in any sport they get 
treated pretty shoddily wherever they go. They are treated with suspicion by police and stewards who assume they are here to cause trouble. They're not allowed to drink in the nicest pubs or eat in the nicest restaurants because those are always reserved only for home fans. They are generally herded around into the ground altogether. Sometimes have to wait around afterwards before they're allowed to leave. So they've just watched their team lose 3-0 200 miles away from home and they've got to hang back for 10-15 minutes to allow the home fans to go home first. And let's be honest, it is an incredibly expensive pastime because not only are you forking out the same price for a ticket as a home fan, but you've got the cost of your travel on top. You're getting home late, unsociable kickoff times. Fans who follow their team away from home I salute you. Especially the ones who aren't in the top six. The difference being, of course, that the top six go away from home and generally stand a decent chance of winning. Which was what I was going to come on to. Yeah, your chances, if you're, one of the, if you're a fan of one of the top six clubs, that rule of generally seeing your team lose away from home does not apply because your record away from home is going to be vastly superior to the other 86 football league clubs. And that's before we even get into those who, who, do, uh, who follow non-league teams away from home. The other thing is, is there is a residual benefit if you are the fan of a big club because your loyalty in following your team away from home is rewarded with priority access or at least preferred access to tickets for things like away dates in Europe or the cup finals that you will get to on a relatively regular basis. So if you're a fan of a a big six club, you're investment in following your team away from home is one more more financially you, you obviously you carry the financial penalties of doing that but there is somewhere along the line the benefit of a probably seeing your team win more often than not and b those those glory moments those cup finals or those european away trips from which you will benefit down the line you should also uh, give special extra commendation to the likes of plymouth fans yeah carlisle fans Gillingham fans, yep. those who have extraordinary and excruciating journeys almost every other week. There are very few teams close to them and very few teams that they are going to enjoy to go to because it will take a day and a half. So, so, so applause to them also. And I think the thing is that we, t- we take them for granted. Like We understand that, that support, travelling around the country supporting your team is a key part of, of English football's identity. But we don't often pause enough to think about what that means and the benefit that we all get from the fact that fans are so loyal or there's a, a hardcore fans who will travel to help create that atmosphere. Because if it's just a stadium with one set of fans in it, the atmosphere is a rule much worse. My first one is similar but different. So it's, again, <laughs> things we take for granted. Do you know what the smallest town in Europe with a top-flight team is? Uh, somewhere it, like in Liechtenstein or Andorra no, 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 or something. Sorry, top five leads. Oh, right, top five okay. Top five somewhere, leads. It was Sassuolo in Italy. Has that changed? It is no longer Sassuolo. When Sassuolo were promoted, that th- I'm pretty sure it was them. The answer is Gangomp, or to give them oh, full name, yes. on avant Gangomp. <laughs> or for yeah. those who are reading this, Gwyn Gamp. Gwyn Gamp, in France, the team in France that once produced a Didier Drogba. In fact, both of my unsung heroes are connected to Gangomp. But... Dan Romp have been in the top flight, top flight of the French League for five or six years now, I think. Uh, they are from a town of 8,000 people, which is basically made them roughly the size of West Isbury and Charlton AFC. <laughs> basically, maybe even smaller. So I hope the entertainment uh, at Gangomp is as good as it is at West Isbury and Charlton AFC. Just, it, just Goals Express, that's what that place is. The, um, and I, I think what Dan Romp represent, they've been in the top flight for six years, they're defying the odds, whatever. Uh, I think they've got a stadium of 18,000, so I presume that, I'm not an expert, and if there's any Gangompians listening, 
then please it, tell us what it, it, it is to be a Gangompian. I presume that they are drawing support from the broader region rather than just the town itself. Geographically, perhaps you could explain where Gangomp is. This is what's interesting. So it's it's in Brittany. It's kind of not. It's not actually that far from Guernsey and Jersey. If that, if that's top maybe, left, maybe that's their local team. Top left of France. It's not that f- far from other teams. So Rennes isn't too far away. Brest aren't too far away. Uh, Lorient's not too far away. All of whom are, are or have been recently top flight teams. Yeah, the, the, Brittany is a. There's a load. Of, there's yeah. a load of competition. It's a bit like the northwest of England, I suppose. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a it's a French football heartland. So quite how the, a team in a town that's so small can compete with because Rennes is a big club and Brest, you know, Brest is relatively big and Lorient. A small place but relatively successful and all the towns around there will have teams as well even if they're not that successful so quite how they managed to sell out their 18,000 seater stadium I've no idea but what Gangomp represents to me is something that we we lose track of because we focus so much on the top six and just so much of football's narrative is about success and trophies and that's that we tend to overlook the stories the success stories that aren't quite as glamorous and they exist in every single country so Swansea now, now that, now that Swansea are in crisis, we're all talking about Swansea then, but Swansea maintaining their Premier League status for as long as they have is astonishing. Would you say the same about Wigan when Wigan were in the Wigan, Premier League? Wigan, absolutely. Bournemouth, I think, is a great story. And to an extent, Stoke. Like, the fact that we, we talk about Stoke, oh, isn't it, isn't it bad that Stoke is still a bit Stokey? And do they need to still be quite as Stokey? Can they not be less Stokey? How will they do that? It's amazing <laughs> that Stoke are in the Premier League and have been for almost 10 years. That is astonishing. And I think that Dan Gromp represents to me a an ability that we have to forget the everyday extraordinary within football. So, Rory, you said both of your unsung heroes were related to Gangon, so who's the other one? So the link with Gangon is, is Flora Maluda, who you'll remember from his glory days with Chelsea and with France. A uh, hugely decorated international footballer, probably earned many millions of pounds, I suspect has no real need to work. Flora, Flora Maluda, in his late 30s, is now playing for FC Diffedanger in Luxembourg. <laughs> a team you've clearly made up. Absolutely not. Diffed, that, that sounds like Ron Atkinson describing a really well-hit cross. That is an absolute Diffedanger. What a Diffedanger. It was it, a Diffedanger from the right-hand side. He couldn't fail to score a wonderful goal. The, uh, and, now we, and now we come to the draw for the first qualifying round of the Europa League. <laughs> which is where you will have heard of Diffedanger as they are regularly knocked out early on by te- some teams from Moldova or Kazakhstan or wherever in the, in the Europa League qualifying rounds. But Maluda signed for them in January. He doesn't need to be playing football, he, not from a financial point of view. And it's the same for Julian Faubert, who I think we mentioned relatively recently, who's now playing in Finland and may not... We, someone contacted us on Twitter about this, but Faubert may not actually be, pe- be playing in the top flight in Finland. He might be playing like second division football in Finland. Right, so, so you've gone from making up teams to making up tiers of football. <laughs> there is a second <laughs> tier in Finland. Okay, if you the, say so. In fact, there's a second tier. I think in the third tier of in Finland is FC Santa Claus, mainly, and that is also true. <laughs> the, but I, So I think my, unson, my second unsung heroes are players like Maluda and Faubert who don't need to play, who have enough money made up from their career who've achieved everything they can really hope to achieve in Fobes' case or want to achieve in Maluda's but are still playing and I think that's we talk, We always talk criticise footballers for being motivated by money and being greedy and selfish and not not kind of being touched reality but people like Maluda and Fobes clearly just love playing and that is something we again we don't talk about enough so I will salute the the players who become journeymen late in their careers just to keep on playing football. So could I come to my second suggestion? Oh, does the, are you, are you, is this planned or is this just a natural segue? Well, really I natural. do wonder. Only because... So Rory has mentioned players at the end of their career. So the other 
unsung heroes I wanted to mention were those who help young footballers at the beginning of their careers, youth coaches. I'm not talking about youth team coaches at big clubs. I'm talking about those who run sessions or run clubs or give opportunities to kids as young as four or five to start learning the basics and that's basic football skills, being part of a team, the camaraderie. Uh, Rory, my six-year-old, has recently joined a club, but there are already kids there much younger than that. And George goes to, George, who's only three, goes goes to football training sometimes with, with Rory as well. They've sort of welcomed him in because he's a younger sibling and, you know, it's all, all inclusive. Th- these coaches are just the patience that they have hmm. and the understanding <laughs> of what can motivate children what can get them to to learn and listen and develop their skills is just phenomenal especially as they've got those kids who pick it up really quickly who obviously have some natural talent so they don't have to worry too much about those they have others who probably Rory falls into this category willing to listen willing to learn but perhaps is a bit short of the the natural ability to give you any sort of sense Genetic I am t- I'm, I'm talking about my son that, you. that, is, that is harsh <laughs> <laughs> there's kids at that age who clearly have a bit of yeah. a bit of nous about them and then there are others who are there because their parents are desperate to get them out of the house and burn off some energy I saw one recently who spent a large majority of the session trying to kick the ball over the fence so he had an (laughs) an excuse to run round and get it and the coaches don't bat an eyelid does that remind you of Hector? (laughs) yes reminds me of my cats so look those of you that run youth football clubs coach young players give them their opportunity to learn about the game give parents a break for an hour let these kids burn off some energy again I salute you you are true unsung football heroes and yeah. often outside of any sort of traditional football uh, finance structure as well they're not going to get they're not if they're not affiliated oh. to a club they're not going to get any funding from that and they have to often fund it themselves or at least with a very very small grant whether it's from the council or, or elsewhere yeah it's a few quid you know here and there for a session because they know that if it's expensive parents won't be able to afford mm. to do it on a regular basis and that's the other thing they're not just organizing and training kids they're keeping on top of things with parents as well in terms of paying their subs, letting them know where the matches are on, where training is going to be taking place, you know, what the weather's going to be like, you know, do they need to be prepared for cold weather, incredibly wet weather? They are absolutely brilliant. Well, I'd say the answer to the incredibly wet one is yes. Yes. They well, need if, to be prepared if, if for incredibly wet weather. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, it is. It's true. And it, you, you kind of, again, stuff you take for granted, isn't it? Like people who get involved with community teams and give up their time as much as anything else just to help out just because they, they like football. And that is kind of, it, this is really saccharine now, but that is the bedrock of the game, really. And it's something that we should, we should talk about more That's rather than just thinking that everything's about the elite because it's not. We've talked about that thing that like... 0.12% of young footballers will make it to the big time. Well, that's where it all starts. Mm. Those, those are the people dealing with those crazy, crazy odds, but giving everybody the opportunity. But it must be so hard when you get rejected who's just useless, but really keen. They'd be the worst ones, the useless but keen ones. And it's, all, and it's, and it's always there. And, and Andy Hinchcliffe, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the parents were, you know, stood in the corner, drinking coffee, having a nap, having a... They're completely unaware that their offspring is terrible at football. Yeah. 
and causing huge amounts of disruption. But that conversation is probably with the other parents about how amazing their kid is at football, but they just haven't watched them This at is all. not me, by the way. I'm, yes. I'm giving it my undivided attention. Of course, because you're Clearly. a good father. You're probably also shouting at him going, you're rubbish. Come Get on, better. son. Get stuck in. I want to see you be one of the 0.12% by the end of Friday. Stop ball watching. There is a, there is a Wyeth competitive street that we all have to be aware of. Oh, yes. W- yeah. Watch out for all Wyeths. Yeah, they are, they're a competitive race, the Wyeths, aren't they? Naturally competitive people. They're not mean. He would quite like. I think we're quite laid so back. competitive that when Dave Wyatt, the known marathon failure, yeah. um, got got onto what was it, the National Television Awards, he presented an award for best day times. You know, Steve furiously jealous yeah. that his brother had you know sacrificed well, his furious. entire dignity the, on Steve national is, television. Is so, now gets a chance to be on national television. Steve and Dave are so competitive that Steve is about to tell us that he is more competitive than Dave. <laughs> no, I don't know. What, Dave no, got less, to, I'm way less. Dave, Dave got. <laughs> to meet Philip Schofield I've worked with Andy Crane we've all got an association <laughs> with the broom cupboard <laughs> whereas Rory is a big fan of gophers I do use the word gopher a lot that's true. Um, my final one of our unsung heroes on this edition of Set Piece Many is a very brief one it's just those um, football directors of live games they have clearly a love of the game and they are very privileged to have a position as they do. But the one thing that they have to sacrifice their entire career is to never, ever watch a ball being kicked live. They sit in a truck in the OB compound. They have to stay in that truck the whole time. They are calling every shot. They are making editorial decisions. They are in control of everything that you see to try and immerse you in what is going on on the television. And yet they are unable physically to immerse themselves. So the fact that they are able to not only create a picture of what the atmosphere is like without being able to be there and sample it themselves, but also just that part of it. If they are a fan of football and they are working in the industry and they are, they will all say that they are very privileged to do so, but just have a thought for them, spare a thought for those guys who are so close and don't ever get to watch any of the things. And of course, the more successful they are, the bigger games that they are not able to watch. And clearly the only way that they are going to watch them is to not work, but they will still want to work. Yeah, the only time they ever step foot in a football stadium is about three and a half hours before kickoff for a, a cup of tea with the commentator. And that's it. They are, they're effectively the air traffic controllers of the football world, but they don't get a break every half an hour. <laughs> Do you know what? The, the amount of time we spend listening to Chinch whinge about how he's got a big idea that Sky won't let him do. <laughs> I should say that's not the director's fault, that's the producer's fault. <laughs> but it's just, it, that can't be easy. If you're a director and you've got, you've got Chinch in your ear saying, I want to do this on the big screen, that's got to make it even harder. Yeah, that, they are. Maybe that's, the, that's maybe the best one. They're, oh, the, yeah. they're the, unsung, the, real, the real heroes of this. But basically, they say, look, mate, I've got 20 years experience and I've already been here for eight hours when you swoop in 19 <laughs> minutes before kickoff with your grand idea. Let's catch up during the week. He, yeah, what, the, the director's got 20 years experience and Chinch once played against Saudi Arabia at left back and, that's, and he's the one who, should be, who wants to be calling the shots, yeah. Uh, if you have any unsung heroes, whether they're in the playing staff or surrounding the world of football, give us a tweet or indeed send us an email at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We started with Chinch, we finished with Chinch rather rudely. Um, we don't have a soccer story because he is not here. So we're going to replace it with something that um, may well become something of a recurring feature, uh, which is the setpiece menu Twitter teaser uh, should be self-explanatory but does anybody have any questions about what it is yes what is it, <laughs> it what is, is the genesis of this idea this is a teaser that we put out on twitter but also those of you who are listening to the pod will be able to hear it almost before it's on twitter to give yourself a chance to reply on twitter and ruin it for everybody um 
I have been given by my mother-in-law over the last few years um, a little uh, a little gift at Christmas, which is a day-by-day diary where you tear off each day and it's got a little bit of either information, trivia, or it asks a question. Knowing my love of football, as my mother-in-law does, um, this year she gave me a football trivia day-by-day calendar that is sat by my bed. Now, to be honest with you, these are quite mainstream questions and I, I know most of them. And so therefore, by association, I would expect our audience, because they are cleverer than us, as has been illustrated very clearly over the last week, um, that they would also be able to. So there's no point in setting a teaser that that is simple to answer. So my threshold of releasing a Twitter teaser on Set Piece Menu is if I can't do it. Okay. So if you don't immediately know the answer. If I don't immediately know the answer or have to Google an element of it, then I am going to release it. So, I managed to get to the 12th of January. So, the first 11 days, super. Actually, that included a weekend. There's only one per weekend. So, it might have been 10. 10 days in, I uh, managed to fail. So, here it is. The 12th of January teaser that we would like people to respond on Twitter at Set Piece Menu uh, to this question. If you answer it first, you don't get anything. If you answer it correctly, you don't get anything. You might get a little bit of a mention on set piece menu. And if you've Googled the answer, then you've brought shame on yourself yes. and the entire podcast. You need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. Mm. So here is the question, and it is this. If you know the answer, guys, please do not shout okay. out. Can we say that we know the answer if we know you the answer? You can say that you know the answer if you know the answer. How was history made when Aston Villa hosted Nottingham Forest in the championship in September 2016. How was history made when Aston Villa hosted Nottingham Forest in the championship in September 2016? Do you, you, you're looking, looking at me like I'm an idiot. You don't, you don't, know, you don't know the answer to that. Oh, I didn't. I do now. I was assuming that you were giving an example of one of the ones that you got immediately between the 1st and the 11th yeah. of January. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They might have been easier than this, and I might be stupid. But for the purposes of... Last time we set a teaser on Set Piece Menu, there wasn't actually an answer. So let's be grateful that the threshold is slightly higher, and we do indeed have But also, answer. this is a really useful test, because yeah. we, we will now be able to establish, kind of on a percentile basis... How fit is Hugh? <laughs> That's if, if, if many people are able to do it without Googling and are able to, uh, upon hearing this podcast, tweet at Set Piece Menu quicker than I could Google it, then you win a special prize of honour and being cleverer than me. Do you know what? If we get lots of correct answers to this, we might have to raise our game. If we don't get yeah. that many correct answers then the opportunity to dumb down the podcast going forward is yeah, really exactly. pre- presents we, itself we, we to us. Do, We're so heading get, for the mainstream. <laughs> we can do kind of what's your favourite transfer and, yeah. and what is the best goal. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It, genuinely, people have got in touch before, particularly every email, what is the best kit? So I'm perfectly happy to talk and about that for fair, a long time. What is the best goal is quite a good... Quite a good subject. So let's do that as well. <laughs> okay. What is the best old point good? Uh, we have to not like the specific example. The type. Of oh God. yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we yeah, will yeah. park that with our religion world cup for now. Um, not, that's we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing the religion world cup. So let's let's park that. There does there, there is quite a lot of momentum behind the idea of doing <laughs> the, the which is the best religion at football. Uh, let's not rule it out entirely. That's to come in the summer when we've run out of all ideas. Uh, so do get in touch. Make me seem as intelligent as I am, which is not at all. Um, at set piece menu or set piece menu at gmail.com. If it is wildly successful, if only for the reason that you belittle me, 
we will do it again. In the meantime, please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Rory and Steve. Andy will be back when next we meet. Thank you to you all for listening as well. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon. Indeed. Do you think maybe the questions get harder through the year? Like with crossword, crosswords seems to get harder during the week. Well, this, the assumption would be that at the beginning of January, you know, it's a pretty depressing time of year. Mm. You've already, you know, you might still be a little bit hungover from the from the Christmas festivities. They're going to send down a couple of half volleys early You'd on, so, aren't yeah. they? I'm also well, impressed they, they sent out ten half volleys, and then on the 12th, it was hard. I'm also impressed that Hugh's, Hugh's doing it, as if, you know, if that's the sort of present that someone gets you that ends up in a drawer and you forget about. Yeah, but I'm, it's, it's Gemma I feel sorry for. Waking up like, every morning. Yeah, wait, yeah, the first thing she hears every morning is Did Hugh you know? congratulating himself for knowing who the Everton manager is. <laughs> what's, what's, that, what's that noise? What's that? Oh, Hugh's high-fiving himself again. Yeah. Well... <laughs>